This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. Well, the new season is nearly upon us, but it's another week until City are in action at Wolves, so the team will have to sit and watch as everybody else gets their campaign underway. It does, though, give them a little bit more time to solve the problems that they had last season and get ready for an attempt to bring the title back from Anfield. With that in mind, we've teamed up with the Anfield Wrap for a special simulcast show between both them and us here at the Blue Moon Podcast. In today's special show, we're going to look at both City and Liverpool as they go into the new campaign as title rivals, and probably the two teams that will finish first and second, but in what order? I'm David Mooney and I'm joined by the Anfield Raps, Neil Atkinson. Hello there, David. How are you doing? Very well indeed, really. I mean, we're going to get into the some of the issues here, the things that do sort of dominate my days, which is, you know, Liverpool supporters' concern around transfers slash finances, which takes up a fair bit of time. But, you know, broadly speaking, it's... You know, it's a unique feeling to start a season as league champions, and it's one that I'm. It's <laughs> quite good, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's really good. I mean, you know, it, it's every, it is everything it was cracked up to be. To be quite honest with you, and there is a bit of a shame that we haven't all got to be in the ground, and we're unlikely to be anytime soon. And in all honesty, now that is the only, you know, one day that will come, and hopefully that'll come this season. Yeah. Uh, but that is the only thing that we've sort of missed, and and when that happens, it will feel almost a bit like winning it again. I mean, I do at times sort of pity Evertonians where it sort of feels like Liverpool will end up winning this league what will feel like five times <laughs> uh, because of the way in which it's gone. But, you know, I think it is, I think right now, though, I think it would be good if everyone could sort of congregate properly together and enjoy it in that sense because I think that is the thing that's sort of missing and everyone's maybe a bit more fearful than maybe Manchester City supporters might think about about what happens next. You know, I think there is a bits and pieces of concern around Liverpool, which which I don't think are entirely warranted, but which, you know, people are just all, you, you almost work yourself at times into a little bit of a frenzy yeah. uh, and end up and end up just thinking, well, the, the sky is about to crash in when, you know, I think from both Liverpool and Manchester City's positions, the sky is very much not about to fall in. Um, <laughs> well, we, and I think we, that's difficult to deal with for both clubs in different ways. I was going to say we can we can get into all of that because there's plenty of problems that City have had over the last season that we'll uh, that we'll dive into. Uh, we we decided to do this basically because uh, I don't know about you, Neil. I'm I'm getting the impression that whatever happens next season, it's going to be a City Liverpool top two. It's just the order in which that it happens. Um, it's been that for the last couple of seasons. Obviously, City uh, all domestic trophies in 2019. Liverpool won the Champions League that year. Uh, it almost flipped round this year, except City forgot to win the Champions League at any point, uh, and Liverpool went on to win the title. Uh, so there's there's a strong argument uh, for some reason that that neither side have had uh, you know sufficient credit over the over the last two seasons or two or three seasons. Um, and so I suppose this is this is a show to celebrate what both sides have achieved in the last kind of two yeah. three years, and also to look ahead to how they'll compete next season. Yeah, it's not it's not entirely hands across the M sixty two, but I think there's an element there's an element in different ways, I think, of and I'll go back to the you know, I'll include the city side of seventeen, eighteen, that I think there's a lot of reasons why you end up in a situation some slightly more justifiable than others, possibly from my point of view, but why we've ended up in a situation where where the, I think there has been insufficient credit put around. I think that because of the combination of the money, which we have to acknowledge with City and with Pep Guardiola. Everyone acted like the 100-point season was sort of inevitable, which is insane uh, when you stop to think about it because, you know, it, it had never been done before. 
and what it meant and what it what it did to the league. I think everyone was almost reluctant in a sense. A lot when I say everyone, a lot of this stuff is sort of thinking about the way in which the game's talked about nationally and, and internationally. But there was a reluctance to sort of to to maybe give full credit. And and I think there was a real reluctance to acknowledge a lot of the muck and bullet stuff that City did in eighteen nineteen to get themselves over the line in the title. I remember, yeah. you know, watching a lot of City's games in the running because they felt like Liverpool matches. And, you know, there's, there's performances at Burnley where, for instance, City don't actually play all that well. Performances at West Ham, City don't play all that well. But the point is, is they show unbelievable courage. And a lot of the sorts of the attributes around team building and around a collectiveness and a togetherness that get get ascribed to Liverpool a lot don't get, didn't get ascribed to City when they were doing that, when yeah. they were showing that sort of courage. And that, you know, it's personified and it ends up being a cheap one in a sense, whilst it's obviously enormous for City. You know, it all becomes sort of, it's like it was all just Vincent Company and it's all, it all ends up just being that one goal against Leicester. Whereas City were doing that for months in yeah. different ways, with I, different players. I do think uh, you'd look at, you look at those two City seasons, the 17-18 season and the 18-19. I mean, the, 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 I know a lot of City fans felt like they didn't get the credit they deserved for, especially that 100-point season um, because there was a lot of... Uh, it almost felt like as soon as they'd lifted the title that season, the question started to become, well, can they defend it? And you yeah. know, can they can can they go on to do it again? They're not a great side because they haven't done it again. And so it almost felt like building them up to knock them down and looking from the outside in. I mean, has, has that been the case for Liverpool this season? I think, I, think there's, I, th- I think there's something in this. Can they defend it? I think, I think the first thing, to, and, and, and this is something that's going on in, in a lot of Liverpool circles at the moment, is this idea of dominating or building a dynasty and whether or not Liverpool are capitalising sufficiently. I think one of the things that English football now has is we've got an awareness of what's going on elsewhere to a far greater degree. And we also obviously have an awareness of our own past. Uh, but no side until City did it had retained the title since 2010. Um, and I think that the idea of, and a lot of English football is still, whether we like it or not, dominated to a sense by Ferguson. And no one had done the Ferguson thing. Um, you know, I mean, that since... is a proper hands across the M62. Well, yeah, but we're now far enough gone that we can give Ferguson enormous credit for that. But we can almost yeah. also acknowledge he was he was working in a slightly different scenario. He was he was you know he wasn't coming up against a number of other sides who could who could stop your momentum. But also, he wasn't quite in an he was in an era where if I say you could coast to a title, that would be an insult to a lot of those sides. But we've now ended up in a situation where, you know, Chelsea broke 90 points, Spurs finished second with 86. Liverpool uh, finished second with 97 points uh, in 1819. Um, and then this the last season, go on and get 99. And City have 100 points in 98-point seasons. And the thing about all of this is that it's so intensive. It's so intensive to win the league. It takes a lot out of a side to win the league. And I think it's, you know, I think that I think we could be a time away from it, from anyone doing three in a row. Anyone yeah. doing three in a row. So I, would, I, would, I would say it, it felt last season very much like the two years had caught up with City last yeah. year. And that's it. Like, it's like, there's, we're going to get into the issues that, that both sides have got. And I, I, I do feel like, like City's issues last season, a lot of them were just, you know, they've, they've burnt up two years worth of, 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 you know, intense energy in pretty much every single game. I think I think on that I think that's the, you know the Liverpool pushing them to the nine to the, the ninety nine points sorry the ninety eight points season when Liverpool get ninety seven I think everyone underestimates what that will have taken out of City 
I think that it was one thing to sort of coast to the 100 points and feel like you wanted to get 100 points, but not have the pressure of you're winning there. You know, you're almost winning there like being the best car in the Formula One race where you, you it's how many seconds you win by, not whether or not you win. Whereas I'm sure if you spoke to Formula One drivers, that's a completely different sort of type of pressure to the one where you're pushed absolutely all the way to the line and you only just yeah. get over the line by inches. And I think that takes it out of City. And I think, by the way, that's perfectly all right that it does. I yeah. don't think that this therefore then becomes some sort, you know, firstly, they won the thing, so they, they, they hung on in and did it. But secondly, I think it's just natural. And I think that's something that isn't acknowledged enough. And, you know, without making all of this sound like bleating because we're talking about two fantastic, much-adored football clubs here. But I do think that because a lot of, what we've done too quickly is make the spectacular become a bit mundane. And so therefore then everyone just sort of shrugs the shoulders a tiny bit. Last season, Liverpool were played 27, won 26, drawn one. Yeah. It's insane that. It's just, it's literally never happened before. And it may well be 40 years till it happens again. But at the time, everyone was almost trying to say, well, this Liverpool side aren't that good. In the same way they were trying to say about the City side, well, we'll see how good they are next season when they've got 100 <laughs> points. It's crazy. Yeah, I think I, the, the the funny thing is, you you, you talk about the analogy of, uh, of Formula One and and the, and the chase that happened in that eighteen nineteen season. Um, I think a lot of City fans went into last season thinking, well, you know, Liverpool got so close to that title and didn't, you know, didn't get over the line. That must that must absolutely crush them and and um and just you know remove any spirit that they've got and expected Liverpool not to get anywhere near that again for the following season. But actually, when you're looking back on it, it probably had the opposite effect, did it? I think it did for Liverpool, but I think that, you know, listen, I don't think I'll ever celebrate a Liverpool goal as much as Divock Origi's against Tottenham. I think I think what, what, what kicks Liverpool on is that they do what they do against City in the league where they push them back close. And they, but also they do what they do in terms of amassing that number of consecutive wins and that number of wins across the course of a season. So they know they can do it. So now there's not an argument. So, you know, inside the dressing room, they know it's possible. But then what they also do is they get the result against Barcelona. Uh, they get the result against Bayern Munich against Barcelona. And then they win, the, they win the Champions League. And I think what that did was it just, rather than, you know, make Liverpool feel like there was some sense of job done, I think that those players doubled down on the idea of, right, there's this other thing to do. Um, and I think that maybe, just maybe, you know, if they hadn't got the results against Tottenham, if they'd have lost consecutive Champions League finals and fallen short in the league, then it could have broken them. You know, it could have been that, listen, they'd have all been in the dressing room feeling like hard luck stories. There's some really interesting interviews with Klopp before the final against Spurs where he talks about his record in finals not being very good. And he's almost, you know, he's almost a little bit like, you know, maybe it's not just not going to happen for me. Yeah. And I think that we, we, we obviously talk up a lot of the positive side of Klopp, but he, part of his positive side is he is very human. And I think it would have hit Liverpool quite hard. You know, Henderson would have, you know, arguably been given the, the opportunities he had, in a sense, to lift silverware, Liverpool's least successful captain, if that had all happened. You know, since he'd been at the club, Liverpool would have fallen short in the league title race of 13-14. There's two finals that we, we lose in the 15-16 season. There's, you know, there's finishing second in 18-19, so close. And then there would have been, you know, there's the 17-18 Champions League final, and there could have been one more. And instead, that's just flipped and gone completely the other way now from Henderson's point of view. So, you know, I think that all of that was, it was on the line. You know, the win against Spurs was massive for them. They deserved to have lifted major honours that season. They really did. And they, and they ended up getting the Champions League. And I think it's that which, 
which means that that sort of prognosis, which I completely understand, by the way, from City supporters, but in, that's what means that prognosis ended up being not just wrong, but entirely wrong, Yeah, if you see what I mean. Well, it, it certainly did for City. I mean, City's season last season was built on this, on the problems that they had. We'll get into that that shortly because I'm, I want to look at, at how prepared both sides are yeah. for, the, for the coming season. Um, but it, it, a lot of it kicked off from uh, that second game against Tottenham, where you know I, I, I always mention this, and it's like I'm, I'm not I'm not the massive champion of XG that make that I sound like. Uh, but throughout the season, City's expected goals were so much higher than what they actually scored. And their expected goals against was so much lower than what they actually conceded. And that was just a recipe for disaster throughout the the, the entire campaign. And I, I think as early as that second game of the season, when you know Spurs came to the Etihad, they had an XG of 0.07 and scored twice. And you got a two-all draw. And you kind of go, well, okay, there's... There's something to be solved here, and we, you can't really put your finger on what it is, because the team is still pretty much the same as it was in in the two um, title winning seasons. the The style of play is obviously the you know fairly similar. It's Guardiola; he's still trying to do the same sort of stuff, but just things weren't working as well as they could have been. And a lot of it, I do, I do put down to the mental kind of side of the game and and how much work had gone into the previous two seasons. They won like a, a first what was dubbed a domestic treble because like no other side had done it before. It's not an easy thing to do to win the league and then yeah. sweep up the the other domestic cups because Guardiola did not particularly rotate his team in the in the cup competitions so this was this was a squad of players okay they've the you know we have like you said before we have to acknowledge how much has been spent on this squad and 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 you know it's not a, it's not cheaply put together it is it is a squad of great players that can all fill in different positions and you know th- they played every three days with one or two changes in the team mm. all the way through for two seasons. And then, so you, like you, you get to the end of this season, you kind of go, well, okay, well, you allow them that because, you know, for two years you've had the, you've had some of the best football and the, and the, and the, the two of the best teams England has ever seen. And, First off, you force Liverpool forced you to win the title in the way that they did in in eighteen nineteen. But equally, City continued winning as well. If City had dropped off, Liverpool would have won that title with less than ninety seven points. So they were pushing each other all the way through that season. And then, so it's like it's like City's two seasons seventeen eighteen eighteen nineteen have been mirrored by Liverpool in eighteen nineteen nineteen twenty sort of thing, but just like with slightly different outcomes. If that makes sense, if it does make sense. There's loads on that for that. that those drop points against Tottenham, like it felt massive. And we did, we did some stuff on the Anfield app, but we pulled back through the season. And we also did some review stuff. And one of the things that came up in the review stuff when we were looking back on the season was people were talking about where they were when City dropped points against Tottenham. And it's a really difficult thing to put that in context in that we haven't seen City drop points since January of, 20, of 2019. We hadn't seen City literally drop points. And when they drop points against Tottenham, you know, people were, were almost electrified, to be quite honest with you. And people might feel that, you know, Manchester City supporters might feel that's almost a little bit small time, but it was it was oh my god, they can drop points. And and it felt like a win. It genuinely did. We'd beaten Southampton earlier in the day, we got away with one, we weren't great first half. Um, and then uh, Adrian, who'd, who'd come in for Allison. Allison misses a fair bit of the season last season, and it does something that we'll put over to City supporters. You know, we were without our first choice goalkeeper for a lot of the league season last season. Um, you know, it wasn't just City who had injuries, but yeah. we, 
Adrian makes a terrible error, basically puts it on a plate for Danny Ings. Danny Ings scores to make it 2-1. And then they have a really good chance about five to go. Southampton and they miss it, which is obviously lucky for us. Um, and then later in the same day, City draw two two with Spurs. But I think that I think the Spurs one, I think you're able to write off as an accident. The one that I think then goes on and does feel enormous is the fact that City lose to Norwich. Yeah. And I think that that's that- the one which rattles everyone, but also made made us feel like they really can be got at here because yes, Norwich are quite tidy and they're smart and they had a plan. You know, they didn't just ride the luck, but that said, you'd expect City to beat Norwich every day. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, Norwich still went down, and that's yeah. that, that's part of the problem that City had last yeah. season. Um, and in terms of preparing for the new season, like you, you look at, uh, at the problems City had, and I mentioned before about conceding too many goals for the chances they give up and uh, not score. It's weird. It's weird to end a season where the goalkeeper gets the golden gloves, but they haven't kept enough clean sheets. And they're the top scorers in the league, but they haven't scored enough goals. It's like that. The, the two things don't make sense together. But then, in the context of the season, you watch the way that City played. There were some games, like even post lockdown, they'd win. I think they won five games post lockdown, five nil. Um, but then every three, every third or fourth game, they'd throw in a two-one defeat at Chelsea or a one-nil loss at Southampton or the Arsenal FA Cup semi-final, where they can play and play and play and play. And either they don't look like they're going to get a sniff of a chance on goal or they create an open net and miss it. And it just like that sort of thing is has been so frustrating over the last yeah. season. I pulled I pulled City's numbers for a show that we do um, in the last 30 on expected goals. So there's a show we do, and I haven't, I haven't done this on the show yet, but I, I pulled them earlier on. And City's, you know, not including penalties, open play. When City are winning in the last 30, uh, their expected goals uh, is 19. Uh, the number of goals they score in, in reality is 25. Yeah. When they're drawing uh, last 30, the expected goals is seven, and the number of goals they score is six. And when they're losing last 30, uh, the number of goals uh, that they score is five and the expected goals is 6.2. And I think that that tells just a little bit of story. It basically tells a little bit of story about how on those expected goal stuff, some of it is, you know, without wanting, again, this, this has always happened with football teams. A little bit of it is padding. Uh, and I think that's something worth sort of pointing out. You know, and I put it's, it's very easy. Like, yeah, when you're 5-0 up, it's very easy yeah. to score the sixth. But, but yeah. Liverpool, madly, Liverpool's expected goals when they're winning, and they were winning more often, it's worth pointing out, with 30 to go last season. Uh, their expected goals is 16, um, 16.6, and the number of goals is 16 in the last 30 when they were winning. And if you go up to the 1st of February on the same the same metric, so just the 1st of February before the winter break, where I think Liverpool dropped off since. But I also think when Liverpool beat Southampton 4-0 at that point, you know, if it isn't all over by the shout and it feels like it is. Last 30 when Liverpool are winning, their expected goals is 13, but their actual goals is 11. And considering the fact that Liverpool outstrip goals to expected goals over the course of the campaign, Liverpool were doing the opposite of that pattern. And I was watching a number yeah. of Liverpool games and people, when they were talking about the expected goals thing, Liverpool, there's a really good example of it. Liverpool, uh, we conceded really early against Tottenham at home and we go 1-0 down. And we absolutely bombard Tottenham. They get one really good chance on the break, but we bombard Tottenham until we're 2-1. And we go 2-1, I think it's a Salah goal on around 60 or 70 minutes, quite early in the game, and we don't have another shot. And we just keep them at arm's length and we do not have another shot. And we just go, we're not interested now. Uh, we're just gonna. We, we've done our bit, and we're gonna. We're gonna see this out from here. And if if you got one back, we'll come back into the game. But we yeah. do that, and we do that repeatedly through the season. You know, there's a Wolves game over Christmas where we go one nil up, we get away with one on VAR, and then in the second half 
who barely have an attempt on goal. And then everyone afterwards goes, Liverpool's expected goals is pretty low. But Liverpool, and this is where expected goals does sort of have a, a sense of limitations, and all good statisticians know this. You know, we use StatsBomb and they're very switched on. They're intrigued by Liverpool. Because if you decide that you're not that interested in creating opportunities with 20 to go, even if you're winning in a game, then it's going to be different to a side that doesn't stop. And the way City play is they just create and create and create. So you see that in the numbers, I think. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. You mentioned that Wolves game. City have got Wolves uh, away first, technically, because uh, you guys play Liverpool. Um, uh, you guys play Leeds, sorry, on the opening day. City have that break because they they had ten minutes in the Champions League at the back end of last season. Um, so City's first game is actually away at Wolves. Wolves are a team that City really struggle with, and it's been. I mean, under Nuno Espirito Santo, City's form against them is not great at all. When they were in the Championship, they uh, they got away with one to get on in the League Cup on penalties, um, which technically goes down as a draw, but they did go on to to win it. Um, and then in the Premier League, you know, they've they've played them four times. They've beaten them once, and the only time they've beaten them was because they had Willie Bolly sent off and. So like that, it feels like a very difficult opener for City this one, purely because of you know the season has has finished again like ten minutes ago. The problems that City have got to overcome, you know, can they create enough chances to score the goals that they need? Can they keep it tight at the back? You know, we'll get into the transfers shortly, but can they? Can they? You know, can they actually make sure that they're not easily counterattacked against? And then they've got to do that away at Molyneux on the first day. Yeah. It's not. It's not going to be an easy game at all. No, I think it's going to be... I think Wolves away is the fourth hardest game of the season. Um, I think that for both, both Liverpool and City, that's the case. But I think that's the case for most, both sides. I would rather... I'd rather go to the Emirates and I'd rather go to uh, the London Stadium than go to Wolves. I think for Liverpool and City, Anfield slash the Etihad's the toughest game. Then you're looking at Chelsea and United and then I genuinely do think Wolves is the next one down because the way they play is so well set up to deal with a side like Liverpool. We went to Molyneux last season. Last two times we've won at Molyneux, I've come off the ground absolutely convinced we're going to be champions uh, because we won on both occasions but they yeah. such hard games. Once I was wrong because City went on and won it but uh, the the other time was last season when, listen, we we beaten United the game before and again, the points gap was so big. But I took a we we win 2-1 with a late Firmino goal. I can't... I, I took a draw more than any man has ever taken a draw alive. <laughs> I was like, I was out of there with a point. The manager said the same afterwards. The manager said he was... You know, he'd have been happy with the draw, but, you know, Firmino creates the opportunity and we score from it. But even then, Wolves miss a really good chance uh, just before the final whistle. Um, and you end up just, you know, it is such a place to go. It might be a little bit different without a crowd. I'm not quite sure. But it is such a place to go. It is such an intense game. They're enormous. Yeah. They're first to everything. Um, they're so well set up when they haven't got the ball. Oh, the, last season, I mean, the the game at the Etihad from Wolves was, you know, it, it was almost the perfect away game from yeah. them. You know, City City struggled to create that day. Um, and, you know, part of it was the Gundogan, uh, Rodri problem that they had in the middle and, and Mares being left isolated on, on the right side. Uh, but, you know, a, a lot of it was, you know, they just did not give City the space to create anything. And with Adama Traore on the break against Nicholas Otamendi, well, there's only one winner because Otamendi is, is you know, how he's still at City, I'm not entirely sure. Um, and so, like, that it, it, that just, it, it proved this season is going to be tough. And yeah. then they go away to Molyneux. And, I mean, 
I, I was disappointed with the way City played at Molyneux last season, purely because they got themselves 2-0 up. They'd had a man sent off, you know, at, at 0-0. They had Edison sent off. And um, to get 2-0 up with 10 men, you kind of go, well, just, you know, play the sensible game and don't give up too many chances. And they made three defensive errors, effectively, and, and, and practically gifted Wolves three goals. And you go, well... Okay, right. It's just not going to happen for us this season. You've got to dust yourself down and go again next season. And it's the question now becomes is whether City have hit that reset button or whether it's going to take some time going into the new season, in which case Wolves away on the first day. Again, alarm bells are ringing there. Well, I think I think on this though, this is the, so this is the Liverpool thing. So you know what we just talked about with Tottenham and City, I think is really really valid. Liverpool's second game's away at Chelsea, and in all honesty, like if you offer me one guaranteed win next season, one you get to guarantee which game you win next season. It's that one away at Chelsea, second game. It's not uh, away at the Etihad or even away at Old Trafford. It's that one away at Chelsea second game. And the reason why is if Liverpool beat Leeds, which will be a really tough game, by the way, they will leg us everywhere. Uh, you know, they're really, they've got so much energy, this Leeds side, and they've been drilled in it for years. Who so knows as well? They, they might have also had spies in the camp for the last well, six months. So, uh... I, well, it's, it's not <laughs> difficult to find out what Liverpool do. But, uh, you know, I think it is, you know, I think they will be, they'll be so focused and determined Leeds. So it won't be an easy game for Liverpool. But if we get through it with three points... I think that the thing in the way that footballers, and certainly because the games are all played now, you know, certainly Liverpool's and City's games, we so rarely play at the same time. You know, everyone's watching everybody else's games. And I think if Liverpool goes to Chelsea and get any type of win, then I do think it, firstly, Liverpool will be buoyed by it. But secondly, I think it will lead to, you know, people thinking, oh, here we go, it's the same old Liverpool again. It's actually almost in our interests, you know, if we get out with a dirty 2-1. If we go there and win 4 0 people say Liverpool played brilliantly, but it might actually be better if we get out with a dirty 2-1 where Chelsea miss a big chance because of a great save from Alisson last minute. If you know what I mean, like that could almost be the perfect scenario because everybody will go, oh, well, Liverpool are just doing the Liverpool thing that they did last season again. And I think that's that's why that game's so huge. And certainly if the same week, and City go to Wolves and drop points because I think a lot of this is you know I think football teams and not just Liverpool and City but the teams that are facing them and that's why the Norwich game was important I think everyone's watching what everybody else does and everybody either takes sort of takes energy from what other teams do or feels like it's a bit of a blow yeah. and I think that I think that the speed with which this Premier League it could either settle back into last year's rut uh, prior to COVID hitting, or it could become something really quite different. And obviously, it's in Liverpool's interest that it settles back into what happened last season. But I think, you know, if City, for instance, win the first five or six, including going to Wolves and getting something, then City will feel like, here we go. This is like 17 18. This is like 18 19. We know how this goes. And the rest of the league will go, oh, City, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. And this is why I think it is, you know, the start of this season is absolutely massive. We've got we've got Leeds, which won't be easy. Then we've got Chelsea. Then we've got Arsenal against whom we haven't won now in two uh, under Arteta. So, you know, it's not, two is loads, but two is at least something. Then our fourth game's Villa away, um, which should be relatively straightforward, given the fact that there isn't a crowd there. But then our fifth game's away at Everton. And with or without the crowds, you know, we haven't won a Goodison since uh, 2016. So... It's a tough start for Liverpool. So if we emerge from that with four wins and one draw, for instance, then we'll be feeling like, feeling like this is great. And the other thing that the way the fixture list has fallen for us is I think it suits Liverpool and Klopp to have weaker sides as you move that, that run after the November international break. Yeah. And that's fallen for us again. And that's where you, you make the punts up. And that's what we've done the last couple of seasons. So I think that's fallen for us. But City, if City do get something from Wolves, if City go to Wolves and get any form of win, I know I'll be going. All right then. This is uh, this is a thing 
because because <laughs> of it, because how I know how hard it is to go to Wolves and get anything. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's look at uh, how prepared both sides are uh, in terms of transfers because you mentioned it earlier on. Uh, well, th- this is it because um, I'll, I'll 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 talk you through the story. I, you, you remember uh, Diddy Haman, uh, yeah. what he did for Liverpool. Uh, I don't know if you remember what happened when he left Liverpool though. Yeah, uh, he moved to to Bolton, a fi- uh, technically to Bolton on a on a free transfer, and City came along and went, ah, no, actually, no, we'll we'll take Diddy Haman for a couple of years. Here's here's four hundred thousand pounds, Bolton. And then uh, Phil Gartside went on the radio a few years ago and said, uh, well, we never actually sent the paperwork in, so City didn't actually need to pay us any money. So that's who Barcelona are dealing with here. <laughs> so when it comes to, to trying to get Lionel Messi, um, I mean, th- here's the thing. You know, Messi, uh, Messi's almost the magic bullet to City's problems last season. City were too easily counterattacked against. They didn't score enough chances. If you suddenly throw Lionel Messi into that team, who I think is the best player in the world, then you have... The solution to the counterattacks, because City have so much more of the ball again than what they have already, and you know a lot of teams will be will be less willing to throw players forward against a, a side that has Messi on the break. And then equally, you know, you'd say, well, if Messi's not going to put these chances away, then absolutely nobody is going to do it. Um, the problem comes then is is getting him away from from Barcelona because there is a whole politics at play that comes with it. Guardiola at City is obviously Barcelona legend. Uh, he's working with uh, Chiqui Bigueristan, the director of football, and Ferran Soriano, the CEO, also both from Barcelona. None of those three want to look like the bad guys back in Catalonia, so they don't want to be the ones that took Messi away from Barcelona. Um, Barcelona's uh, president, Bartomeu, obviously is not going to be the one that wants to have sold Messi and doesn't want to be the one that that is is responsible for Messi leaving. And then Messi himself is also not going to be the one that wants to go, look, Barcelona of, you know, I'm I'm, I'm leaving. And it ended up needing this, this massive kind of, Look what a mess Barcelona are in for Messi to be able to say, "I'm ready." You know, I I need to leave this. I need to I need to get away, and it just like it, it became yeah. a, a massive story around this around this issue yeah. that you know neither side really wanted to blink. And in the end, probably unless City go back with an offer of of 150 million euros or whatever, some money for Messi. Um, probably everybody loses out of all of this. City don't get Messi, Messi doesn't get his move, and Barcelona, you know, are are still a shambles. (laughs) The interesting thing for me, I think with football clubs, we all do this thing where we presume they have an infinite number of employees and an infinite amount of time. Do you think, do you feel like the Messi thing may actually have been a distraction to City? Because there there are only so many people who can work in so many departments at Manchester City, and there is only so much time, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the start of the season. And yes, the, the, the transfer window has been extended. But one of the things I think that can sort of help a club at times, like we, Klopp was asked about it straight away and he basically just almost went, that's none of our business. We don't even yeah. have to think about that. The only way we have, we'd have to think about that, he doesn't say this, but the only way we'd have to think about that is the knock-on effect within the markets, if you know what I mean. But we don't even have to think about that. That's none of our business. Do you think that that's something which, you know, do you feel as though this might have been a distraction for City that all of a sudden this thing emerges that, that, that you know, people have to have me in the most basic workplace sense. There has to have been meetings about Messi, if you know yeah. what I mean. The, the, the key players you've just described all have to get in a room and have a series of conversations across a number of days about Messi. And there might be people saying, hang on, are we also trying to buy another centre mid and another centre half? And someone saying, yeah, put that to one side because we've got to do this Messi thing. <laughs> do, you th- do you think that, that might have, it might have distracted City? 
I, I hope it didn't because I hope City are prepared enough to to go well. These are the these are the fires that we've got burning. Let's keep you know let's keep all you know let's keep a, a attention to all of them at, at every stage. Um, it does feel like City's transfer window has ground to a little bit of a halt um, at the moment. I mean, we're, we're talking Wednesday morning at, the, at this time, so they, they yeah. might have got a couple of deals over the line by the time people hear this. Uh, but Koulibaly, they've needed a centre-half since company left at, at the beginning of last season. And Koulibaly has been linked and linked and linked. And it's it seems to be a case of negotiating for a case, of, you know, between five and 10 million euros with Napoli. And you're kind of going, well, like, that's a deal that that feels so close to the line that it, it feels like it should be pretty easy to get done at this stage. The situation that we're in, obviously with uh, with COVID and with the way that um, you know that the world is at the moment, you're going to want to get players settled in, in in different positions as soon as possible. I mean, we've not touched on it yet, but but uh, Laporte has COVID at the moment, so he's you know whether he will be available at what point in the season, it, it's still unknown. And so then you're looking at you're looking at going into a new season with have they got Koulibaly for the start? Has he arrived by then? Is the transfer going to get over the line, or are they going to have Stones, Otamendi, and Fernandinho with Ake as their as their three, as their centre backs for the you know for the opening few games? Um, aside from that, you know they've got um, Torres in early, they've got uh, Ake in pretty early, but after that there doesn't seem to be any other irons in any other fires. And I guess the the, the messy story as that comes along, I mean. I, I actually think City played it perfectly with Messi. You don't want to go in and, and start being Mr. Billy Big Boots and, and upsetting people. And I think they were there ready and poised to be the ones to sweep up once it all settled down. And it just didn't fall the way they hoped it would fall in, in Barcelona. And I, I guess that I, I my my hunch about whether they'll go for him again in future is, you know, I, I don't think they'll go back this window with a with a monetary offer. They'll probably offer him a pre-contract in January when he's when he's available on a free at the end of the season. And then we'll kind of see from there what happens. Um but I, I, I do think City didn't really do too much wrong in that. I just hope it hasn't distracted from other areas that, that certainly need uh, need strengthening. And, I mean, there's the potential that City go into this season without having looked at another left-back. And it's been three well, years now where they haven't so strengthened a left-back. I've got I've got massive theories on this. I think I think he's bought Ake to play left-back, and certainly in certain games. I think Ake's profile, left-footed, left-sided, can play centre-half, but isn't quite the biggest... Uh, can play can play holding midfield and can play left back and I think that one of the things that Guardiola is thinking about is the way in which he has those uh, you know I've seen Walker do it repeatedly you know his fullbacks tend not to overlap they come in and play and, and play almost in a sitting midfield role when yeah. City are on the attack and I think if you actually look at that and profile Ake within that he makes a ton of sense. And I think the theory might be, well, you know, he's a little bit more defensively solid and sound than the other at left back options, but he can play and hold in midfield. And so in certain games, and it wouldn't surprise me if away at Wolves is one of them, if Ake plays left back rather than plays plays uh, left hand side at centre half. Um, but the the idea being what that means is that when we've got the ball, we've got the two centre halves. We'll have the whoever it is who's holding midfield, and possibly, possibly, uh, probably Rodri. And then what'll happen is Walker and Ake almost act as a bit of a shield yeah. that sits in front of them. So it's a two and then a three where they come in and come quite narrow, as City tend to do. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot, you could write essays about City's purchase of fullbacks because I don't, <laughs> I don't actually think City have bought a bad one, but they uh, keep buying ones that don't suit Guardiola. Or they so, keep buying ones that are injured for or injured for, for, for yeah. yeah. 
yeah, yeah. either either injured or, or, or but they don't keep they keep Iron that don't bite that don't suit Guardiola and I think there's a, there's a lot of reasons why and some of them are FFP. Um, you know, and I think that's quite a strange, you know, again, Liverpool supporters look onto City and look onto the riches and there's some Liverpool supporters who wish they had them. But I think one of the reasons why City just end up with Cancelo is because they can do the deal that they do with Juventus. Yeah. So you're actually limiting the pool of players you can buy by virtue of the fact that you need to do it for mega money in this really weird way because you need everyone to do the exchange and all of that sort of stuff and you need Juventus to be open to doing this sort of thing. But anyway, that, that's an aside. I, it wouldn't surprise me if the Guardiola's use of Ake ends up being, certainly for the bigger games and certainly for the games where he's concerned about being counted on and maybe even for games when you get to the last 30, bring Ake on, put him left back, and it isn't that he just sits there and he moves into midfield, but what he doesn't do is go on the overlap. Yeah. He becomes part of a barrier. And that's what I think. That's what I think. And I think if that is the case, I think that's a really clever signing, to be honest with you. And I think that people, you know, City aren't going to come out and say that week one. Guardiola's not going to say, well, here's my big tactical plan, because why would you? <laughs> yeah. But So I think at the minute, everyone went 40 million for Ake. That's absolutely unreal. Just being relegated, et cetera, et cetera. I think he really has got an idea for Ake. I think it's that. And that then creates the room for other players to play around that. And then obviously in certain games, Ake can play left side and centre half. You know, I think I think Ake will get 30 starts um yeah. in, in the league. And I think people will be surprised where and when he gets them. Yeah, it just I mean the, the thing for City fans is that the number of well the the number of seasons now where we've gone into the campaign. Sure, seventeen, eighteen. They just bought Mendy, and it was it, it was looking like it was going to be a great signing. You can't predict that he'll do his knee in the first yeah. five or six games of whatever. Okay, you can write that that season off. They had Fabian Delph as a as a makeshift makeshift left back. It it worked up to a point, and then it stopped working at, at the point where you probably expect it to stop working. Um, Zinchenko emerged as somebody who could do a job there, and it, it's such a horrid phrase, you know that. But but you know he's an attacking midfielder, and he is playing left back. And you get to the point where he's played so much at left back, then you have to start judging him as, as a left back because that's how he's getting into the team. And he's just not, he's not offering the defensive solidity that's, that City need in that position. And so you go into another season where you haven't signed any anybody for, for left back and go, well, Sinchenko's doing all right, doing a job, and it worked last season. And then suddenly that stops working again. You go into this one, come in and, and go, well, you know, my, my biggest worry is that that ultimately Ake is a centre-back. And OK, he's been trained. He's, he's, he's given an interview recently where he has been trained. He said he's been training across, uh, his quote was, different positions across the back. So I think you're onto something yeah. about about playing at, at left-back. But again, I think, you know, I, I think fans would just feel a lot more comfortable but if they'd gone out and got an out-and-out left-back. You know what I mean? I'm with, I'm with, I, I understand that, but then I think the part that becomes... From a city point of view, part of that becomes, well, this is sort of the price of doing business with Guardiola. And I don't mean that in a negative sense, in that I think, I think similar to Klopp, and I think similar to a lot of these managers now, they see it as a conversation about roles and not just a conversation about it. It's, it's, what will the role entail? Yeah. And for me, I'd like, for instance, if, if something mad happened in the universe and Liverpool ended up with Mendy and Cancelo at Anfield as cover left backs and right backs, I'd be absolutely delighted. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think that the way we play with the fullbacks, what we have the fullbacks doing, I think that both of those players could be could be really, really effective for Liverpool, for Klopp, and I think he'd find a way to use them. I think there is, Cancelo to me is, he's a really good meat and potatoes overlapping attack and fullback. But if you do not want to play an overlapping attack and fullback because you're going to keep your wide players very wide, use your midfielders as inside forwards, and you want those gaps to be filled by by different types of players, and I think Kyle Walker is generally underrated. If you want to do all of that, then you don't actually want a classic overlapping fullback. And to me, Mendy is he's a brilliant attacking left back when he's on it. And yes, you've got to sometimes bite the bullet of defensive errors 
here and there because that, that, that again, that's the cost of doing business with Mendy. Yeah. But then what you don't then get to do is say, well, we're very annoyed that, that we've picked Mendy and he's been Mendy today. You've got to say, well, how are we getting the best? How are we getting the best yeah. out of who he is and what he is? And I think it's a really weird little thing. This, and I actually think full fullback to me is in general now fascinating in that it now has arguably, it's certainly got more different ways to play it than say number six has than holding midfield has. You know, there's more different types of that. There's more, yeah. and, and years ago there wasn't. But Guardiola does want that variance. But what that sort of means is, I don't, I struggle if you go through all the pre- maybe as Pulaqueta, you know, I almost struggle to pick a fullback from another club that maybe even Alexander-Arnold in that the idea that he comes into midfield but sits a little deeper could suit Guardiola. But I really struggle to think of really a, obvious a sort of... Who could do that job, yeah. For, for, for City. Whereas yeah. I think actually for Liverpool, I do think, you know, I think we ask loads of trends. I think that's a slightly separate case. But, you know, I, I think Robertson's brilliant, don't get me wrong. I really do think he's terrific. But we were looking, we were looking at, for his cover to be Jamal Lewis from Norwich, who I've never been particularly impressed with. I think he's quite good, but I've never been particularly impressed with. But we've just asked him to do meat and potatoes full back in, put a ball in here and yeah. there, make the yeah, pitch up big. and down the line sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Uh, well, let's talk Liverpool transfers because uh, it, it's another summer where there's not been a whole lot going on. Um, can you talk us through why that is? There isn't much money. Um, I think there's a massive part of it. Liverpool Liverpool pay out a wage bill that's that, that's equivalent to cities, and there's a few people that make some rumblings around, you know, whether or not City are using some of the other sources and consultancies. But you know, the wage bill that, that at least up to the end of the eighteen nineteen season was thirty million more than Chelsea's and was only about 15 million less than Manchester United's. So Liverpool, what they've done is they've rewarded the footballers who are already there. So Liverpool are investing in the squad, but the way in which they're investing in the squad is with wage increases. So what's different for Liverpool at the minute than has been for years is no one's getting linked away. And the reason why no one's getting linked away is they're playing for a great side, but also they're all financially, everyone's being weighed in with the exception of Wijnaldum, who we'll come on to in a minute. Everyone's very, very, very well paid and paid market rate maybe at times a little less than some of the other clubs but that money's shared out more widely as well across the Liverpool squad so the first thing to point out there is as I say a lot of Liverpool in the 18-19 season Liverpool paid 80 million more in wages than Arsenal um, and that is and that's recognised by the way it, also by the gap on the pitch they've also been doing some infrastructure investments so there's the training ground stuff uh, there was the main stand and there's still stuff around the Anfield Road but the key thing is, when you look at those accounts, and there was a good Swiss ramble thread this week, Liverpool have got a lot of way to go on commercial income, partially because a lot of Liverpool's commercial deals are sort of pre, certainly pre-winning the winning the Champions League. Uh, they're obviously pre-winning the league as well, but the pre-winning the Champions League... So they're almost even, undervalued at the moment then? Yeah, on the commercial side, yeah, Liverpool don't get enough in from that. And then the next part of that is that what... I think there will be a rule internally within Liverpool. They took a loan out from the owners to build the main stand, but I don't think Liverpool's owners are prepared to do a cash flow thing, which I think cities are and Chelsea's are, um, around putting money up front and think we'll make it back over a period and we'll make sure we're still FFP compliant. And Liverpool's owners aren't going to do that. So I think that a massive part of this is Liverpool are still paying off previous transfers. Uh, the wage bill's gone astronomical. I mean, it's grown enormously uh, as a percentage uh, and has put Liverpool into the... And I think it's important to say this. 
in this in all of this conversation into the echelon of a super club. Liverpool's wage bill is the wage bill of a super club. It's you know there's a big gap. Nine, Barcelona are at top, and then there's a massive gap. Second to ninth, you can throw a blanket over them. Liverpool are in there, City are in there, and then ninth to tenth is that gap to Arsenal. That's about two hundred eighty million to two hundred thirty million from the figures at the end of the eighteen nineteen season. And you know a fifty million gap when you're talking about two hundred thirty million is actually really really substantial. Yeah. So that's where Liverpool. So Liverpool are in that bracket, but they don't have. Uh, the revenues uh, commercially to be able to also do players, but the other thing is the other thing that most sides also do is the you know they have quite active sales plans as well, and you know Liverpool haven't been eager to sell uh, anyone really. It's not as though Liverpool are knocking around, haven't made you know they're not drawing a profit in from transfers. I think they're just quite happy to to say what we have, we hold, and I think that that was more the case last summer. I think Klopp had his group of players. I think that you know you can make a really idiotic argument, but one which I could possibly make, which is that last summer Liverpool should have cashed in, for instance, on Tibok Origi. Uh, but when you end up being played 27-1, drawn one you, it's, you struggle to say we would have been stronger. We just would have had more cash and might have been able to bring someone in now. Yeah. Um, so it becomes, you're just chatting about cash there, to be honest with you. So I think, and I think that obviously the COVID thing hits Liverpool hard because the match day stuff matters. And then this is back to talking about who has cash on hand and who hasn't. Who's literally got money sat in the bank or can say, can we draw it down? Chelsea are really interested in all of this, more so I think than Liverpool and City. And that Chelsea have been creating this bank of loan players for for, for 10 years and this is a really good summer for Chelsea to front load loads of big signing and think, well, we'll just get rid of these other lads, many of whom you wouldn't even notice if they went. So Zappa Costa, for instance, yeah. they could just go and get 10 million for. And suddenly you do eight of them and you've done 80 million and Chelsea could do eight of them. These, the, the, the lads who's at Atalanta, Pasalic, uh, they got they got 16 million, I think, for him over the summer. He's never kicked a ball for Chelsea. Yeah. And then so, everyone talks suddenly about- you've got again you've got that cash that you can then go out and get the superstars for. Yeah. I mean I'm, I don't I don't expect Chelsea to finish in the top two like the Liverpool City, but they'll I, I think they'll get closer than anybody else. Yeah, no, I agree with that, and that's but, but I think that and this frustrates Liverpool supporters in a sense because you know for instance there's lots of talk that Thiago is desperate to join Liverpool, and I, listen I think that had it not been for COVID I think that would have happened uh, in a much more smooth manner by now and Liverpool could have chosen to front load some of this stuff but also the next part of this as well is Liverpool are absolutely full of their overseas quota so we've got 17 overseas players at the minute and what they're not going to want to do is bring somebody in because it will just weaken them and every sale matters for Liverpool now and a lot of this it stresses Liverpool supporters out frankly a lot of them Um, and I do sort of understand why but it's almost this you know we can't prefer the idea that we'd rather be looking to grow to come top four to be able to do more transfers that's not. I'd rather be the, the the brilliant side that we are currently yeah. and do I, one I, more year. I guess. The, I guess the worry is, and I mean, I've I've seen it from City now. Uh, certainly in in 2012, going into 2012 13, and then in uh, in 2014, going into 14 15. Um, they won the title and then just did not get the next transfer window correct. And as a result, they finished quite a way off the the eventual league champions the next season. How much and how much is of, of this side is the same side as what came second to City in eighteen nineteen? And how much needs to be tweaked about it? Well, I think so. Within that, there, I think that there's a couple of interesting little bits. I think obviously it's the same front three. It's the same. It's a very similar back four. Uh, you know, um, 
Allison in goal, uh, Alexander Arnold, Gomez. Uh, although Matip plays more that season, um, Gomez, Van Dijk, and Robertson, and it'll be the same front three. And then the midfield question comes in uh, within there as well. But it's very similar to that side. You know, there's still Fabinho, but Fabinho's now he's had longer at Liverpool. I think within that as well, you've got Kaita, you've got Oxlade Chamberlain, who are, who are different players to the ones that were. I think Henderson's improved in terms of his importance to the side and in terms of general output uh, since certainly since seventeen eighteen. So I think there's, you know, I think within that though, it is, there is obviously a similarity there. And I think that it is what concerns people is, you know, does it need to be refreshed? I genuinely think that you could sign Tiago and if Liverpool aren't right going into this season in terms of collective focus, it wouldn't make any difference. I think what one of the issues that the COVID thing does and has done in general, and I think Liverpool weren't quite sure which way they were going to go anyway, but the idea of cashing in on any of the front three, I think is completely gone which is fine. And then people don't like the phrase of cashing in. But the point is about this is that there'll come a point where, you know, they're all approaching 30. So there'll come a point where the smart move, genuinely, whether you had all the money in the world or not, would be to let the legs go on someone else's watch. But to do that these days, because clubs aren't stupid, you probably need to let them have a season or maybe even two seasons where you get the pretty close to the best of Mo Salah. You're not going to be able to do a smart move where you get Mo Salah to Madrid for 100 million when he's 32 because Madrid, <laughs> Madrid aren't that stupid. What they'll do is, though, they might pay a premium to have Mo Salah if they've got two or maybe even three really good seasons out of him and then take a gamble on what happens from there. All this is, as I say, this is all just running football clubs, but the general perception, and I think it's much more, this summer it's much more sort of framed by Chelsea with Werner, who Liverpool looked like they were very interested in and looked as though they could have just actioned if they'd have wanted to, um, with Werner and with Havertz. And I think it's a bit more Chelsea than City, although that might change. Is everyone sort of feels as though everybody else is doing loads of business? A friend of mine, John, who I think you've spoken to in the past, sort of yeah. pointed out to me that he, that there was, when we were being linked with Tiago, we look at the replies and the B United supporters going, and Liverpool are going to do well more business than us. And I think everyone's just a bit mad with transfers. But within Liverpool, there's a really valid point of, well, you've won the Champions League and you've won the league and you made a Champions League final the season before, so where's the money? But when you look at the books, which the Swiss Ramble thread did this week, when you look at the books, the money has gone back into the club. There's no one taking the money out of the club here. The money is in the club. So then the question becomes, and that's where then this becomes, uh, you know, who do you want and on what basis do you want your football club to be owned? Question. And I'm personally, and I, but I'm not saying I'm representative, I'm really quite relaxed that if Liverpool are self-sufficient and are being run well, then we'll be there or thereabouts. And I think it's really important for Liverpool to cement the, the jump as a super club, which I think they've done with the wages, because we can all argue with Miguel Delaney till the cows come home. But there is such a thing, I think, as having that sort of super club uh, basis. And if super clubs are going to exist, I want Liverpool to be one of them. Yeah. And I think this is the key thing here, is that this season, listen, you know, I obviously want Liverpool to retain the title. I think they've got a great chance. I agree with you. I think it'll be Liverpool or City. Uh Lifting the thing come May, I really do think it will be Liverpool or City. Like, I think that's 80%, if you know what I mean. Like, I think eight out of 10 times. One of, one of the two wins it, yeah. Yeah, and, and one, one out of 10 Chelsea, one out of 10 United, say. Yeah. Let's, say that, let's say that's the way it works. But I think what's important is actually Liverpool have got to win three of the next 10 and win two Champions Leagues in that period. And that's what all this is about. And if we do that, you know, it's about this idea of just being there or thereabouts quite consistently. And I think we can do that. And I think that's the finance question. But I think, obviously, it's muddied by COVID and it's muddied, muddied by the way Liverpool run themselves.
Yeah. Uh, let's let's touch on uh, Genie Wijnaldum. You mentioned him before. Uh, I'm assuming, Neil, that the move is Genie Wijnaldum to Barcelona, Barcelona Messi to City. Then, in that case, is it? <laughs> I think it's I think it's more likely to be Genie Wijnaldum to Barcelona and Thiago to Liverpool. I think Liverpool would let Wijnaldum, would plan to let Wijnaldum go on a free, and I think they plan to try to pick Thiago up on a free next summer. And I think Bayern Munich have sort of nudged that, and I think also that that Koeman's gone to Barcelona sort of nudged that as well. So I think Liverpool may well have to end up making that move one way or another if Wijnaldum decides that he wants to go and Liverpool can agree a fee with Barca, then I think that that will move all relatively quickly, to be honest with you. Uh, I think it would be a massive loss, not least because he turns up. Um, his fitness, his attendance is unbelievable. Um, you know, and I think that you can you can you can actually underestimate that. He's a remarkably consistent performer and he's a remarkably consistent selection. Uh, for the manager, and he's remarkably consistent in terms of his fitness. So I think he's tired across the towards the end of the last two seasons, not least because he's been so important to us from August to February. But apart from that, I, I think he's been, you know, integral to what we've done, and I think we'll miss him massively. And I think that Thiago, in lots of ways, looks and is a sexier footballer. Uh, he's more likely to create. He's more likely to play incisive passes. He's more likely to do a lot of the things that make you ooh and ah when you're in the ground. Um, but Gini Wijnaldum is, has been the midfielder who's played the most games when Liverpool have got 97 and 99 points and won a Champions League. And I think that, you know, you may... It, I think you, you, we may end up regretting that. I quite like as if we can do it um, financially to keep Wijnaldum for a season and accept he's leaving on a free. He's on very little money in the grand scheme of things, Wijnaldum. He's probably about Liverpool's 16th or 17th highest earner because he signed in 2016. And when I talked before about everyone else getting contract increases and extensions, he hasn't. Um, so, it wouldn't, so it wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool are happy to let him go for one payday and get one more season out of him. And I think that given how quick the games come this season and given the idea of you know if Liverpool's engine room is the midfield, you know, the idea of being able to make almost three changes match by match between midweek European and league games to the weekend, I think it'd be great for Liverpool. And I think it's how you'd keep the front three fresh and the full-backs fresh is by getting the midfield to do more of the run for them. And I'd, I'd love to see Liverpool keep Thiago and Wijnaldum for one summer. Uh, if they can get Thiago, sorry, buy him and then keep Wijnaldum for the summer and let him go for free. But it might be that a combination of the financial situation, but also the fact that Barcelona might overpay for a player with one year left on his contract to keep Koeman happy yeah. um, is it might force Liverpool's hands. Yeah, it sounds like Barcelona need 150 million euros for, uh, for an attacking <laughs> midfielder. I for, think. For, for, for rebuilds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we've touched on City's uh, issues from last season. Uh, again, they were there to, for everybody to see. Too easily counterattacked, not taking the chances. Um, did it, it, it certainly felt up until you? mentioned before played 27-126 did Liverpool have any issues whatsoever I think firstly I think that we th- th- there's four or five games where quite late in games especially away from home but not solely where op- op- opposition sides miss late chances against us and I think that's partially the pressure because you get to that point in the game so we're 2-1 or 1-0 up and there's a few late chances that are missed you know you know high value chances if you want to use the stats phrase that are missed against Liverpool and I think that given the way in which the games come thick and fast, I think Liverpool, rather than get one goal ahead, like I discussed earlier on, and say, right now we're going to keep you at arm's length, they may be better served to find out their way to being two goals clear, whether that's 2-0 or 3-1. To then do that, I think they may well have to tweak that a little bit and, and work a little harder when they go one ahead to make sure they double down and make it two. 
Um, and I think that that's something. If I say they rode the luck last season, I want to be dead clear. I'm not saying Liverpool were lucky. I think all sides, all successful sides, all football teams, full stop, have moments in games where they get luck. It's what you do with the luck that counts. And Liverpool rode their luck brilliantly in the same way that in previous seasons, Manchester City will have rode the luck brilliantly. And good players ride the luck really well. When you get away with one, you ensure that you don't allow another one, if you see what I mean. And I think that's what Liverpool did really, really well. Where they got away with one or where the ball bounced for them, they ensured that they doubled down on it and and, and got the results. Yeah. So I think that's I think, something I think that... weirdly that that was that was City, one of City's problems last season yeah. was it, it felt so much like when you know on the bounce of the ball the spin on it would always take it the wrong way for yeah. what City wanted and it was just like th- th- there were so many times where um they would concede a goal and you would go right okay well if the opposition are going to do that then yeah. there's nothing you can do about it and it's like there's th- 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 there's so many examples of just at the point it looks a- a- about where they're about to build a little bit of momentum something goes against them, a refereeing decision or that a VAR call at the wrong time changes the momentum in a game and they don't go on to get the points in that game, something like that. Yeah, and, I, think, I, think, I think that and adversity, how you deal with adversity when yeah. it happens and how you deal with luck both for you and against you is actually much more of a thing within football matches than we all give it credit for. Yeah, it's that, that momentum is key because you look at, at City's 100-point season, the number of games where, in the you know, as autumn turned to winter, they won a string of games two one on the bounce again and again and again, and it was every single one of them. The, the winning goal was scored like seventy five minutes onwards. Yeah, and that I mean the the season where City picked Liverpool to the title in uh, with ninety eight ninety seven points was was a little bit different. Now at the end of that season, City were grinding out results and clean sheets. There was a lot of one nils in that in in that uh, in that running. Um, and that's something that, that grit and that that kind of momentum build was completely lost last season. And you look at Liverpool's first half of last season, certainly before the COVID break, anyway. That it was City fans had watched the game and go, well, I just don't see where Liverpool are going to drop the points here. They're not even they're not playing that well at the moment. But you know, at some point they're going to turn it on, or that you know the opposition will miss a chance, and that'll be the spark that Liverpool yeah. need to go on and actually you know get the goals in this game. Yeah, I think that's really that, that. I think that's a really, really good point, and that's what we did do very well, and that's what we need to get back to because we've been very mixed in that since the winter break. It's not just since COVID; it's since the winter break. Now we were great after our self-created winter break in eighteen nineteen, and I think ironically, Klopp talks a lot about wanting to give the players more rest, but I think his Liverpool side plays better when momentum happens, when the games come thick and fast, and they get results in them. Um, so I think that obviously, then the winter break, we came back. There was a lot of work done, I think, around fitness for a week and on new patterns and we were a bit sloppy. We get battered at Watford. Um, we drop, we, we go out to the Champions League. We play really poorly at Atletico. We're actually excellent at Anfield um, in the game that comes back and we're really unfortunate not to go through in the grand scheme of things. And we, we even get the go-ahead goal in extra time. And then it's, a, again, a goalkeeping issue with Adrian in goal rather than Alisson. That, yeah. that puts us out to the Champions League. Um, but all of that said... You know, then the COVID things ha- thing happens, and we we weren't great coming the other side of that. But then the flip side of that is all the intensity of the seasons lost doubly in that there's been the COVID thing, but also there's the um, there's the fact that the leagues won, and I think that that did lead to Liverpool effectively, you know, losing a, losing a level of intensity. Yeah, so the question- I I actually wonder for next season if the fact because we talked about about City for last season yeah. where ideally the COVID break should have been like a clean slate. They could come back and go, okay, we had all these issues 
you know, pre-COVID, post-COVID, what's going to happen? Are we going to, how are we going to sort them out? And it ended up just being a continuation. And part of it, part of my wonder for that was, well, the league was already won. So pretty much every Premier League game that City played was a dead rubber by this stage. They were going to finish in the top four. At that stage as well, they were, they were at that moment banned from the Champions League. So it didn't really matter if they did finish in the top four at that stage. Um, and so like now we go into this new season and actually because there is something to play for, does that give City a little extra 5%, 10% that wasn't so. there in the lockdown games previously? I think it does, but I think I think the question is whether or not Liverpool go back to the way in which they were prior to the lockdown games as well. So that's the key question here and that's why the first five, six games are, I think, firstly going to be massive because I think what will happen is footballers are as prone to narrative as any other humans and they'll tell themselves the stories that they want to tell themselves off the back of that. Yeah. So I think that that's something. That's why, as I said before, if you offer me one guaranteed win, it will be Chelsea away second game. Um, I think that that will be significant, and, and footballers will convince themselves of some of this of these things. But I also just think that yes, you know, it all returns back to zero. What I think helps though is I think I, you know, for instance, I think Liverpool are the best team in the country at nil nil. They're the best team in the world at nil nil. Uh, I think that that's why, where Liverpool do their best business, their best work. Um, and I also think that Liverpool are terrific 1-0 down. I think the dreadful 2-0 down, but it doesn't happen all that often because they're very, very good at 0-0 and 1-0. Um, I think that there's... And I think that, that you know Liverpool handled mini-adversity pretty well. Um, I think, though, if, if, if adversity snowballs, we've got no idea what this Liverpool side will do because they've not had to live that in any meaningful way. And that's why it is, you know, we have been mixed since the winter break, and that's why there is legitimate cause for legitimate cause for very mild concern. And we'll see how quickly Liverpool click back in. Um, and if they do click back in, then you know I can see it being another season where we're looking at two sides, and I think it will be two sides who are both going to break ninety points, knocking lumps out of each other. No side's ever done ninety points three years on it on the spin in English football, even allowing for three points for a win and even allowing for, for 42 game seasons. No one's ever broken 93 times in the history of English football. City could have done it last season and Liverpool might do it this. but I, So I don't think it'll be easy. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's what you're looking at. That's what we're up against. And I'm, you know, I'm confident we can do it. I'm confident we will click back in. I'm not, I'm not sat here thinking, well, is us. I don't actually think, well, is us. Um, I think we'll be in really, really good shape. But it wouldn't surprise me if, if if things don't go well for a few weeks for Liverpool. It might be tougher to correct than people might currently anticipate, and that's why, as I keep saying, the transfer thing. Unless they are going to do something ridiculously dramatic like get Mbappe in, the tra- transfer thing. You know, the alternative universes where Liverpool are doing more transfers. Listen, for me, Liverpool's season is defined by Alison Becker, Virgil Van Dijk, uh, Joe Gomez, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, Mane, Salah, Firmino massively, Jordan Henderson. I think they are, you know, Liverpool could buy almost anybody within reason, but if the players I've just talked about all play pretty regularly their 8 out of 10 game, then it won't matter whether or not you buy Thiago, but if they all or some of them lapse into a 6 out of 10, then Liverpool, by their standards, then Liverpool will struggle to go at that pace. And yeah. it may well be that a new player might be a bit of a spark, etc., etc. and that's all completely fair, or it might offer more rest, and that's all completely fair as well. But ultimately, I do think that the, the the destiny of this title is in the hands of, from a Liverpool point of view, is in the hands of the footballers who are already there. I don't think that Liverpool, like the way you've talked about Messi and how you feel as though he'd be a magic bullet signing, I don't think there's a magic bullet signing that Liverpool are currently turning the nose at, up at, however good Thiago might be.
Check out exclusive city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Well, I mean, I'm interested as well that you didn't mention there the a potential problem at centre-back. Because I look at, at Liverpool centre-backs and obviously Van Dijk is incredible. Then uh, Gomez and Matip and possibly Fabinho to play in there as well. Do you feel like it might be a little bit light? Because that, that was the big mistake City made last season. They lost Laporte and you know they didn't have a company in there to, to, to settle everything down. Stones out of form for you know for parts of the season. Fernandinho, a defensive midfielder, albeit playing well yeah. in centre back, he is a defensive midfielder. And Otamendi being Otamendi is the liability that he is. I think that it is a little bit light, but I think this is where I do feel sorry for Guardiola and Klopp in that. So a couple of se- a few seasons back, we signed Ranyar Klavan uh, for four and a half million quid from Augsburg, and he was about twenty nine when we signed him. He was four and a half million quid. Um, I don't think Klopp or Guardiola. You know, and, and we've talked about Ake, and I think Ake will play a bit more, but I don't think Klopp and Guardiola, I certainly don't think Klopp can want to be spending big money on a centre-half, and I actually think it's difficult to get a centre-back who's good enough to be able to come in and out for Liverpool. I I think it's a really strange and difficult position to buy at the minute. Yeah. I think it's one of the reasons why City might end up doing 60, 70 million on a 29-year-old, because it's so difficult to see your rate. A really good example is, like, I really like Tarkovsky uh, at Burnley, but he's not better than Gomez. Uh, and at the minute, Burnley is saying they want fifty million for him. And if Matip's fit, I'd possibly play play Matip ahead of him. Yeah. So you're not my, my only worry with on yeah, my only worry with Liverpool though there is is again like City lost Laporte last season. What if Liverpool lose Van Dijk uh, for a large spell? But, does that does yeah. that put a, a, a like a spanner in the ointment? It does. Yeah. No, I think if we I think if we lost Van Dijk, we'd have a massive blow. But I don't quite know who the centre back we'd buy in the world is who would ensure that wasn't the case. So don't get me wrong. If that happens, people will say, well, we should have bought another centre half, but. I think Van Dijk is, and again, this may, may put me at odds with City supporters, but I think the distance from, I think Van Dijk is right now the best player in the world off the idea that the distance from Van Dijk to the second best centre-back in the world is the greatest distance between any player and his contemporary in the world. So there's a period where Messi and Ronaldo, if you just want to say both of them for argument's sake, were so much better than every other attacker in the world that those two were miles ahead and they defined matches and I think that the, the player who's the nearest to that in the world right now is Virgil van Dijk. Um, I genuinely do believe that that's the case. And if that is the case, then how on earth do you cover Virgil van Dijk? In the same way that no one ever really argued that Barcelona needs to have cover for Messi. Yeah. But I think we end up sort of driving ourselves mad on this. I'd love, like, I wish Liverpool hadn't, hadn't sold Lovren, to be dead honest with you, because Lovren was perfect to be fourth-choice centre-half. But he wanted to go and he wants to play regular football. So you can't, you know, we stood in his way last summer, you couldn't stand in his way again. Um, and I think it is difficult to work that out. I think Gomez could well be the second best centre half in the country. And I think that if he played for other sides, that way in which it doesn't take much to go on Twitter and find people talking about Harry Maguire's numbers and putting them up against Van Dyke's and go and see, he is as good. <laughs> I think if Gomez played for almost anyone else, then I think people would be saying Gomez is, is, is in Van Dyke's class. But because he, he plays for Liverpool, that doesn't happen. That's fine, by the way. So I think that if we, you know, I think the issue would be if we lost Van Dijk and Gomez simultaneously. But the other issue is the games come so thick and fast, and I think Liverpool will have to have a bit of a like an imposed rest plan on Virgil Van Dijk just to ensure he doesn't pick up a knock. I think they will have to look after him a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, I think it would derail our season. I'm not, you know, this is a don't get me wrong. I think it would derail our season. I think any 
you know, if we've got a six-game absence for Van Dijk more than arguably any other player, uh, I include all of the front three in that, you know, but if we had a six-game, seven-game absence for Van Dijk, then it would be very much to see where we are the other side. That said, last season, the same thing was said about Fabinho and when he went out, Henderson came in and did a really good job. And I actually think if... So, last season, Klopp does this thing. Um, all football managers basically fib all the time. You can you can shift from fib to lie, depending on your moods. <laughs> but they all love telling you fibs. And last season, Klopp did this trick. And all season, he did this trick. And the trick he did was, he said, uh, at the start of the season, yeah, Adam Lallana can play six. And there was a game in October where we went to Villa and 1-2-1 where Lallana started at six. And the reason why was he wanted to keep Fabinho available to play six against City. And if Fabinho got booked that day, uh, he'd have been suspended for the game against City. Yeah. So he plays Lallana six and he played him six in the League Cup. And he said, Adam Lallana will play six for us this season. He is covering six. When Fabinho got an injury that put him out for three months, Adam Lallana didn't play six once. So <laughs> when I played there. And in the same way that, for instance, Liverpool are at the minute saying they're going to cover, cover Trent Alexander-Arnold with Nico Williams, young Nico Williams who's still got a lot of development to do. That's sort of true in a game-by-game basis. But if Trent Alexander-Arnold's out for three months, someone else will play right back. Um, And similarly, if Van Dijk got an injury, Liverpool at the minute have got a couple of good young centre-half prospects they've used in pre-season. But if Van Dijk went out for three months at centre-half, for instance, Fabinho will play there. You just put Fabinho there straight away and say that you're just going to do this job for me for three months now. More fool Klopp, though, for the Fabinho thing, because what he should have realised is that City haven't won at Anfield since 2003 and were never in any doubt that they were going to go there and get anything from the game. If he'd have, if he'd have just looked at the numbers for that, he'd have known that he could have played anybody in that game and City would have still gone there and, and, and imploded as the way that they always, always do. Um, let's finish with uh, a, a, a little bit of a nod to the future, um, because... I, not necessarily not to the future then, I guess, but players that might emerge this season that haven't particularly um, kind of shone for City and, uh, and Liverpool over the last couple of years. Um, for City, I mean, the, the, the gut instinct immediately is to say Phil Foden will get more game time. Yeah. I think I, I, I think he, for the last certainly for the last season, is a first-team player now. Um, everybody knows, everybody's seen a lot of what he can do. Um, yeah. He's There's no secret about how he's going to evolve into this City team. There are one or two others, though, that I that I think City fans would like to see get more game time. Uh, there's Taylor Harwood-Bellis, who is a centre-back that has... Uh, he played in a couple of the League Cup games uh, last season, but didn't play too much. Uh, and there's, there's one that City fans will be absolutely rooting for in Tommy Doyle, uh, simply because uh, his two grandfathers both played for City. They were uh, Mike Doyle and Glyn Pardo, um, uh, both City legends. So that, like the idea of having the grandson of two City legends go on to become a City legend, it's like it's like one of those fair... It's like Roy of the Rovers stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but he's, he's again, he's, he's another one who is quite away, away from the first team, might get one or two League Cup um, uh, games. And then you throw in, uh, there's a name that I'm going to mention now, Liam Delap, who, uh, yes, he is the son of um, <laughs> long throw specialist Rory Delap, uh, but he plays absolutely nothing like him. He doesn't take throw-ins. He's a striker that, that just kind of bulldozes everything out of his way. Um who maybe gets one or two League Cup games again if, if City are light on the striking front without you know Gabriel Jesus and, and certainly with a, with Aguero only just having come back from from injury and the League Cup being so intensive in the next few weeks or so. Uh, so there's, there's potential for him as well. So like like from a City point of view, it's it's pretty much all youngsters who might emerge. From a Liverpool point of view, though, I'm I'm looking at the names you've suggested and and I'm thinking I, I know those players. <laughs> yeah, you, people know them, but they you know. 
these are big. This is a big season for Naby Keita. Um, he's had now, you know, it would be his third at the club, but there'd be an injury hit. I think if he can stay, his performance level when he's on the pitch is exceptional. It genuinely is exceptional. He's he's a, he's a terrific footballer. He's arguably, and he's not nowhere near uh, as good as him, both in terms of what he's done yet, but also, you know, I suspect he's a couple of seasons away from being able to hit to Bruyne levels. But he's the nearest thing Liverpool have got to that sort of player. I think um, he knows exactly where everybody is on the pitch. He's technically brilliant. He can go past people, and he's got a goal in him. Um, when I say he's got a goal, and what I mean is if he played 38 games, I'd expect him to get more than 12. I don't mean he's got a goal, and my people used to say about John Joe Shelby. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's got, I mean, he, you know, I think he, he could be a one in three merchant for Liverpool without him being involved in set pieces. Um, and I think that, but I think the key question is whether or not he can he can play week in, week out. Um, you know, I think that he, he could be exceptionally special for Liverpool. I very much hope he starts against Leeds. Um, and next to him, I hope that against Leeds, uh, Curtis Jones starts. Um, he's been excellent in pre-season. He was very good post-lockdown. Um, he gets about the pitch very effectively. He's There's some footballers who, you know, Wijnaldum is actually one of them who you can almost half forget as playing, even though they may be doing the job and getting picked by the manager every week. You're always very aware of whether or not Curtis Jones is playing for Liverpool. Um, you can't keep him out the action. And I think that he could be a really interesting player for us this season. Um, I think he could, you know, again, he could quite easily contribute. Liverpool have got a minor issue around goals from midfield. Uh, I think that almost all of Liverpool's midfielders, uh, the full-backs and the centre and the centre half, who isn't Van Dijk, could contribute a few more goals. Um, uh, but Jones looks to me like, you know, again, it wouldn't surprise me if he got the requisite games, if he hit double figures from centre mid. And then I think it's a big it's a big season in general for Oxley chamberlain I do wonder if he's the sort of player we'll spend our lives saying that about. You know, those sorts of lads. You just need to play City more often because well, he, he, he whacks one in from 45 yards every game, doesn't he? You know, he, exactly. I think he suits I think he suits those bigger matches, frankly. And I think but I think he's gotta find a way to contribute week in, week out. Um there's Oxley, there's Dem Minamino, uh, who we signed from Salzburg in January, who genuinely was the best player to play at Anfield for an opposition side last season. For Salzburg, he was unbelievable that game. Um, and he's looked good, really promising in pre-season. Um, again, he's 25, so you know he should be playing a part. And I think he, he'll, he could prove to be important. Um, he may not be. And if he isn't, then I think that's where an area where Liverpool may struggle with rotation. I think they need Minamino to produce the goods. And people outside of the Liverpool bubble may not be entirely aware of him yet, but Harvey Elliott is obscenely exciting. Uh, he is, you know, he plays right-hand side with a left foot. He is not like Salah in that he's not that sort of goal machine. He's just unbelievably creative, you know, and I think he's he's got so much technical quality, he will score goals, but he is capable of, 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 of moments of absolute flamboyance and brilliance. And I don't know how many games he gets. He's still very young, but... It wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool this season are a bit more eager than people might think to get him time first team. He, he was he was on the bench for a lot of the lockdown games. Uh, he was in the 18 for a lot of them, but he didn't get on uh, very much at all. I think he could only gets about 10 minutes. I'll be intrigued to see whether or not he's on the bench against Leeds because I think if he is, given the nature of that bench, I think he may well be a bit more likely to feature than, uh, than, than he was last season. And I think he may well be being lined up to play a bigger part across the whole of the campaign and and I think he may well if he gets on I, there's not been a moment yet to suggest he will he will stop being uh, the the player he is he's looked at he's looked good and competent and tactically switched on whenever he's played but he's also got moments of absolute magic so there's six sorry five players I've named there all of whom didn't really contribute to play 27-1-26 draw one if we're honest about it you know the, a couple of them emerged and had appearances in that run 
but all of them, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if all of them have a significant part to play this season. And that is part of when you're talking about Liverpool freshening it up. Minamino, Jones, and Elliot, you know, they were not part really of that squad prior to yeah. prior to the COVID outbreak. That's three players in there, and and I think that that's something that Klopp will have his eye on. Yeah, I think from a City point of view as well, in terms of, of first teamers to to emerge or or to improve on last season in that sense, I think it's it's a big season in that in that way for for Bernardo Silva. Um, he he yeah. was one. He played a big part of, of City's uh, title win in twenty eighteen. Um, he actually played more games than than people think in 2017-18. But he was, uh, again, kind of used from the bench last 10, 15 minutes a lot. Uh, 2018-19, he was a big part of it. 19-20, it just just didn't work for him one one week after another. Um, And in terms of of, uh, centre-back help, I completely forgot to mention him before with the Barcelona link, was uh, was Garcia, uh, who is a little bit in the doghouse at the moment because he's not going to sign a new contract. He's, he, he said he's not. He, he doesn't want to sign a new contract. Um, I, I, we all assumed with with a move to Barcelona on the cards, and Barcelona seem like they're quite happy to wait a year and, and, and get him on a free at the end of this contract. So it, it then becomes an issue of, is he hanging around the first-team squad for a year? Does he play much football, given especially the the, the confidence that John Stones ha- well, hasn't got at the moment? And uh, and that Otamendi is, as I've said repeatedly throughout this show, is Otamendi. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, then again, if you know if Koulibaly is coming as well, where is the position for for Garcia to play? So it's uh, it's certainly it's an interesting way that City will, will start this season. Um, and I guess the fact that the transfer window has been extended to October means that uh, I don't know if Liverpool will be ready for 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 Leeds at the, at the weekend. Um, but I, I certainly wonder if if City will be will have all of their business done by the time they get to Wolves for uh, for, for that Monday night game. It's uh, it's certainly going to be interesting. Um, no, I, think, I, I don't think we'll be done. I think we, I think he'll still be looking. I think he'll want to add one attacker possibly, but I think he'll also want to. I think he'll want to bring the central midfielder in from Munich. Yeah. So I don't. But I think that might go all the way to to the fifth of October. Yeah. Uh, so to finish then, Neil, uh, I mean, uh, uh, looking at the way the two teams are shaping up, I'm guessing you think Liverpool will finish first? Just my my thing, as I said before, is, you know, I said eight out of 10 before and I sort of stick by that, you know, but, I'll, you know, if you want to ask me out of 100, I'd possibly give, you know, Liverpool 42 out of 100 and City 38 out of 100. Um, um, listen, I think you'll be able to throw blankets over it and I think it's more defined by City than Liverpool. I expect Liverpool to break 90 points. Um, yeah. I'd be surprised if, it, certainly if if Liverpool can still win it with sort of seven games to go and you get to the last eight of the Champions League if Liverpool haven't got to choose whether or not to prioritise the Champions League because it looks like the league's just not going to happen then they might not break 90 points but if Liverpool are going toe-to-toe with City or something approach you know if Liverpool are within four points of City with eight games to go then I think that they'll be, I think they'll break 90 points and then I think the defining factor is what City do yeah, uh, I, me, I, I agree me. entirely. I, I think I, I just think um, City City have got a lot more to work on from last season than Liverpool have, and the question becomes in that first five ten games if they have solved those problems or if they found something that 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 negates those problems, then they'll be they'll be well in there for the title yeah. race. Um, my, I think, I think if City break ninety three points, David, I think they'll win it. To be yeah. honest with you, I think if City were to get 96, I think that that would probably prove enough. But this is the such fine margins that we're talking about. And we are back exactly, to yeah. 38 cup finals, you know. And I think that that's what this, these two teams have done and why we're doing this show is in part to sort of remind people of that. It's a crazy 
38. Like people have always used the cliche of 38 cup finals, but Liverpool and City, City have made it 38 cup finals. And then last season, Liverpool went and won them. Yeah. And, I, and I think that that's, you know, it's crazy territory. And if that persists, then, you know, as I say, if, if I think if City were to get over 96 points, I suspect they'll have just beaten Liverpool to it. If it goes, if Liverpool, if City get fewer than 90 points, I suspect Liverpool win the league. Yeah, I I agree with you entirely. I think I, my my gut instinct is that that City. Oh, I I, I don't want to say that City will finish second on on the show, but I I I think I think it's more a worry for me than it is for you right now, and that's I I don't think it's I don't think it's entirely um, out of the realms of possibility that City finish only a couple of points behind Liverpool in in first and second. That Liverpool. You know, finish a couple of points behind City. I don't see. I don't see what happened last season. And no, no, right. with, with a one-horse race for for a good half of the season. I don't see that happening again. No, no, not least because I don't think Liverpool will. For instance, from the first eleven, I don't think Liverpool will win ten or eleven of them. I think Liverpool will drop a little bit more points in the early part of the season, and that'll become how to deal with adversity. If you offer me right now, after eleven games, Liverpool have, have played eleven, won eight, drawn three. I think I'd be I'd be very happy with that. Uh, as long as you know, as 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 long as one of those draws, I think the eleventh game might actually be City, or the twelfth game might be City. I think you know, as long as uh, you know, they, they've obviously got 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 a, a not lost at the Etihad. I think if Liverpool can do that, then I think you know, from there, then that's the platform. But I think City will have something similar in mind, and I do think that I I think it'll be really really close, and I think they'll I think it'll come. It might it might come down to who's got the gap when the Champions League last eight happens. Yeah, because I think if if either side, uh, let's I said four points before Liverpool will still be interested, but if there's six seven games to go, um, six or seven games to go, and the gap is six points or greater to either side, come the Champions League last eight, it's then probably it, over, isn't it? But also, I think that what happens is if both sides are still in the Champions League last eight, it would be sensible to throw your energies into ensuring you've got your best players fully fresh because those games come back to back midweeks. So you know, I think a lot of that could well it could well come down to who who decides to throw their energies into that a hundred percent, and that's where. So I think I think we'll have a you know I almost feel as though it's I think both managers will probably have a bit of a mentality of let's see where we are after playing thirty. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you entirely. And if we're gonna uh, one one note to finish on as well, if we're, if we're gonna pick one game that uh, like you say we uh, is a guaranteed win, uh, then I go for the weekend of the sixth of February because that's when City go to Anfield. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, there's a, there's only here's a stat for you. There's only Sergio Aguero left in City's squad that has ever experienced the concept of being in the lead at Anfield. No other, no, other City, okay. yeah, no other City player in that squad has, has ever been in front at Anfield for City at least so um, that's that, that's if, if City lose every other game this season but win at Anfield there'll be a moral victory in there somewhere <laughs> <laughs> that's quite something I've really enjoyed this David thank you for doing it maybe we should do it halfway through the season yeah well it depends if Liverpool are running away with it then I might not take you up on that offer but otherwise <laughs> uh, yeah. but vice versa yeah <laughs> Neil thank you very much for tonight thank you uh, well that's it for this special episode joint between the Blue Moon podcast and the Anfield Wrap. We'll be back with our first episode of the season on Friday the 18th of September next Friday where we'll also be previewing that game against Wolves and looking ahead to the season. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.